Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Peony on Magazine Street. Exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. For a long time, the word alternative has meant substitute. For example, you can drink soy milk as an alternative to regular milk. Somewhere along the line, we also started using the word alternative to mean something that exists alongside something else that is more mainstream. Alternative music is sort of an artsy parallel to pop and rock. Alternative fashion, like emo or goth, uh, exists alongside mainstream fashion. In New Orleans, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're experiencing an alternative that, until 2021, was inconceivable. Alternative Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras has traditionally been the single most unifying event that underpins our definition of ourselves as New Orleanians. Even with the occasional political and social differences that have been aired over the years, Mardi Gras parades and Mardi Gras Day are a level playing field of joy and exuberance that unites us. It simply doesn't exist in any other American city. And then there's the extraordinary impact that Mardi Gras has on our local economy. Well, none of that is happening this year. 2021 is the year of alternative Mardi Gras. My guests on Out to Lunch today are finding ways to cope with the new reality and to create alternative Mardi Gras. Devin DeWolf is the founder of Crew of Red Beans. Crew of Red Beans started out as a traditional Mardi Gras crew in 2008, but it wasn't until the pandemic of 2020 that it matured into a unique arts activist version of a New Orleans social aid and pleasure club. Devin DeWolf and his crew figured out a way to support shuttered restaurants, overworked frontline medical workers, and out-of-work musicians. They raised money and paid it to the struggling restaurants to make meals that they then paid to out-of-work musicians to deliver as donations to frontline medical workers. Then, when Mardi Gras was effectively canceled, Devin and his crew of Red Beans created a project called Hire a Mardi Gras Artist, which does just that. They again used donated funds, this time to hire Mardi Gras artists to turn New Orleans houses into works of art that resemble stationary Mardi Gras parade floats. We toss around the phrase only in New Orleans pretty liberally, but in this case, it's indisputable. Devin DeWolf, founder of Crew of Red Beans and king of alternative Mardi Gras, welcomed out to lunch. Yeah, thanks for having me and happy Mardi Gras to everybody. Seeing there are no Mardi Gras parades to go to this year, how are you going to end up with bags of beads? You know, all those beads that seem like a must-have item till Ash Wednesday when you suddenly wonder, what am I going to do with all these beads? Well, this year, the year of alternative Mardi Gras, you can go through that process in reverse. You can start out with bags of beads and use them to decorate your house. 
It's still not too late to get your Mardi Gras beads from the Mardi Gras Recycle Center. The Mardi Gras Recycle Center is part of an organization that's been around since 1953 called ARC GNO. ARC GNO is centered around providing care and employing people with disabilities or developmental delays like autism or Down syndrome. The manager of ARC GNO's Mardi Gras Recycle Center is Sharina McGee Stemley. Sharina, welcome out to lunch. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Very good. Glad to have you. Devin, you're like Robin Hood or Bernie Sanders of Mardi Gras. With your program to hire a Mardi Gras artist, you're taking cash donations from people who can afford it, then redistributing the wealth to people who are struggling. And in turn, these struggling Mardi Gras artists are enriching the community by providing artwork that the whole city can enjoy in the form of houses decorated to look like Mardi Gras floats. This might be the most extraordinary amalgam of Renaissance art, artistic patronage, and Cuban Revolution-style cultural socialism in the history of the world. Now you've got this model set up, and given how New Orleanians like to decorate their houses for every occasion, do you think this hire from Mardi Gras artist program might live beyond this year uh, as an ongoing public arts project? Uh, actually, we're going to create a nonprofit float building company. Um, and the economics of the Mardi Gras float industry are rather fascinating. I've been fortunate this year to have sort of a crash course in Mardi Gras uh, art. And uh, basically, it's an industry that for decades has underpaid and undervalued the artists. And these artists are hidden away behind the scenes. And we've never actually thought about them before. And one of the goals of our Hire a Mardi Gras artist project, um, aside from creating jobs for these artists who just got laid off, was really elevating their profile and celebrating who they are. Because what we don't actually appreciate is that it's a regional art form that dates back to the theater scene of the 1800s here in New Orleans. And this art form is kind of like a treasure. And what we have to do uh, as a city is really invest in our people. And we have to recognize that the people are what makes our city special. Um, it is really the strategic advantage that, our, that New Orleans has, but we've never really taken care of the people. And that includes not just the Mardi Gras artists, but black masking Indians and members of social aid and pleasure clubs and the musicians, all of the folks that really make our culture. And that's what we're trying to uh, really change is um, sort of take COVID as an opportunity to improve, uh, you know, our city's uh, situation. And Sharina, the Mardi Gras Recycle Center employs over 80 people with disabilities or developmental delays. Most of your employees would have difficulty finding another job that pays nearly as well or a workplace that is anywhere near as supportive. This impressive operation is largely self-funded through the sale of hundreds of tons of recycled Mardi Gras beads and throws. The key word here is recycled. The business's raw materials are beads and throws that are donated each year after Mardi Gras. So what happens for the rest of 2021 and into 2022 now that there are no beads and throws being flung off floats? Well, actually they're sitting in our warehouse, which is really pretty sad to our program. And so one thing that I, I would always try to drive home to the community is these are community members. They live in a community just like us. And this is a regular job for them. So they are hurting 
in the sense of a lot of them are not able to come back to work. We have only been able to bring back 10 of those individuals out of that. So you can see the number is vast. And so with that being said, our program is really hurting because everything, everything is actually sitting in our warehouse. And so the job development part that we actually give to these individuals are, is so vital um, because some are able to move on to regular paying jobs when some people are uh, actually here and this is where, this is their, their platform where they will actually stay until you know, they're out, um, they're unemployed, you know, when they get older. You know, there is one theory that the reason the city of New Orleans is sinking is all the Mardi Gras beads in people's attics. So you're doing it. Yes, we're keeping it <laughs> out of doing the a... system. Exactly. Oh, yeah, now that's true. Wasn't that a big story when that came, <laughs> when that came out? Devin, how do you, I can't even imagine, how do you start a crew? Uh, you just do it. You just decide to start it and um, you'll learn over time whether or not people support it. And um, that's the beautiful thing about our city is that's why we're a hotbed of create, uh, creativity and culture, I believe. And then, Devin, I would say that most of the traditional Mardi Gras crews got together to have fun and the side businesses giving back to the community and such. You kind of started backwards in that sense. Uh, well, we, you know, over the course of time, as the crew of Red Beans grew, we kind of accidentally self-selected into people who are very community minded. Part of that was every year we would do a really silly bean tournament that was a spoof of college basketball, March Madness. And we would recruit all these restaurants to give us their beans. And then I would force basically the crew members to go do tastings and pick up all this stuff. And it was, you know, logistically very complicated, but it sort of helped me weed out people in my crew who weren't up for volunteering. Because if you're not up for some volunteering, then, you know, maybe you're not the best fit for a community group. And over time, we created a group that's super community-minded because um, that's just become the identity of our group. And when COVID started, we kind of launched into action. And just having 300 crew members to build a team of volunteers with, that enabled us to scale up. Um, you know, our hospital program was the largest in America. And for six weeks, we were literally feeding every ER and ICU in New Orleans. And that's only possible because we had a volunteer army that we could put together really quickly. Um, you didn't mention our other initiative, Feed the Second Line, which is an ongoing project as well. But with that and hire Mardi Gras artists, you know, we've actually raised $2 million. And that has created jobs for the most um, sort of uh, the, the people in our city who need work right now, musicians, um, people in the community who are you know, masking Indians and baby dolls. And uh, these are folks that just, they need work right now. And collectively as a community, if we wanna keep them here, we have to get creative so that we can make jobs for them. Um, what most people don't realize is musicians are moving away right now. They're, they're going back to other cities. They're returning to places with more economic opportunity. And our city is so reliant on tourism that we've got to really think very carefully about how are we creating jobs and how are we making jobs that pay well, uh, not just minimum wage, you know, tourism industry or service industry jobs, but things that people can really build a career around because otherwise we're going to lose them. And if we lose those people, we lose our strategic advantage as a city because the reason tourists will come here is our culture. 
Um, they're not coming here because of the restaurants or the architecture, no matter how beautiful and, and tasty that stuff is, they're really coming here for the culture. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Devin DeWolf from the crew of Red Beans and Sharina McGee-Stemley from the Mardi Gras Recycle Center. Sharina, I have to ask, who buys the beads in a normal in a normal year? Well, actually, you have crews who come. You actually have parade riders. You have those truck float riders. Um, you just have the normal um, person that live here in New Orleans, or you have a lot of people that actually that are visiting um, through the tourism uh, component. They're, they ask where they can get stuff from. They don't always go to Bourbon Street. They come to us. And so we're, we're unique. We're that little diamond in the rough. Um, so that's how we're able to just get those sales. But the one thing about us is once you come, we have returning business every year. They tell a friend. And then some people, some writers don't tell other friends because they don't want them to know that that's their little secret. <laughs> so it's amazing, but it's like, it's it's growing. And over the last, I can say three years, you can see the tremendous growth that we've actually had with the program. But this year, it is just, I've, I'm sitting in shell shock. I'm sitting in shell shock. You do an amazing job holding it together. Sharina, when I meet folks like you on this show, um, it's it's always interesting because there's, there's a parallel here. You started at this organization and then you went to work um, in a for-profit, you know, for, for yourself there, but came back. And I see this all the time. You came back, obviously not for the money. What is it that drew you back into the organization? Well, the thing is, is the love for the people. In order to do the type of work that I do, you have to have a passion for whatever you do. And uh, the people that we serve, a lot of times they're so overlooked. People act like they, they don't exist, um, and but they are so vital to the community. They are one of the pillars, just like uh, Devin spoke of. They're one of the pillars that they're just overlooking. No one think they matter. And so in my heart, I know they matter. And I just want to give them another voice. I want them to be seen. I want people know that to know that they exist. And so for me, my drive home has been to just make it known. Hey, we're here. We exist. We need your help. And at this point there, I mean, if we have over 200 thousand tons in our warehouse and I promise you they are able to sort like no one else and the things that we get done is amazing and so I just want people to know that they are everyday citizens so that passion in me is the drive that keeps me here that made me come back and will make my voice so loud that New Orleans will know that these people are important. And when we talk about voice, uh, Devin, uh, I guess the, the broad term is culture bearers, but um, I think people would be amazed at how little money these folks make. And a lot of them are, you know, I would, a lot of them are poor, whether it's, uh, you know, a Mardi Gras Indian or a musician. Uh, you know, I'm out, I'm out there in the concert listening, but I, I don't see how difficult these things are economically. Yeah, and I think you have to sort of step back and look at the history of our city. 
Um, you know, you have to take into consideration the history of racism and segregation. And then you have to look at where does the culture come from? You know, it's not a coincidence, in my opinion, that jazz was created in essentially the worst neighborhoods at the time in New Orleans and Central City, where Louis Armstrong was a little boy. And, you know, today it's the culture is so vibrant and it's so hopeful and so meaningful to the folks who create our culture. And, you know, they do it for passion, basically. So if you're a black masking Indian, a baby doll, or a social aid and pleasure club doing a second line, you don't do it for money. You don't get paid. You actually pay money to do what you do. You know, you have to buy your feathers and your beads and everything. And then what happens is that cultural expression gets commodified and sold by the hotels and the tourism industry without actually investing in the people that made the very thing that they're selling. So we have a goose with a golden egg and we need to make sure that we can keep that goose and keep that golden egg healthy. Because if we don't, what are we going to market our city with? I so much want to keep that goose thing going. I, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. But Devin, you came from a, uh, originally from a tourism town, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but New Orleans is different. How's it different? So my hometown is a great counterexample because you can walk around areas of Charleston that look like the lower garden districts and you can go to amazing restaurants. But what Charleston has the strategic advantage is it has beautiful beaches. And I don't know if you've been to the beaches on the lakefront, but they're not going to compete with Florida and Alabama. They're not going to compete with Dolphin Island. So we don't have that resource there. And you know, people come to Charleston to visit and to walk around the architecture and all that. But I think when you compare the number of tours that come to each city, it's not even close. And really what draws people to New Orleans is the culture. And they're going to keep coming back because of our culture, because of our Mardi Gras, our jazz fest, because of our music, because of the parade experiences that they can have here. And, um, you know, we really have to get smart about the way that we're investing in those people that make that stuff possible. Because if all of our musicians move out of, out of New Orleans and go somewhere else, you know, what are we going to do? Right. And, and Sharina, um, recently I've seen that you have a billboard. I think it's on Earhart somewhere. Uh, tell me why you advertise. Okay, because we still knew people were going to do the house floats. Um, We still wanted people to know, even though Mardi Gras is just different, it's canceled, but it's different, that, hey, if you want to do something at home and you want to throw beads or trinkets or balls or plush, whatever it is that we have it, we wanted people to know we are still here in the community. We're not going anywhere. And we we want people to get ready. If we're getting ready for 22, we want to be the first stop that they know that we're opening for business. And Sharina, your model is, uh, well, both of your models are very, very different than we'd usually expect. Uh, I would imagine a fair amount of your money comes from the uh, um, the beads, and then you get some donations on top of that to help fund what you're doing? Well, what happens is uh, with our program that we run, we actually get Medicaid funding. And so, but it only can cover a, a portion of what we need to employ them. So what happens is there's a gap. And in between that gap, we have to fill in the gap to make sure that we're able to run the program properly. We still, with every other thing that is attached to that actual, our actual job in that center, 
we need to make sure that it runs. We need to make sure that we have all the supplies because that's not something that Medicaid would fund us for. So to have that holistic program and to be able to, to be able to cap off the different entities that we need to cap off and be able to pay for, we needed to have more money. And so what happens is the money that we make from all the sales is able to fill that big old gap. And we're able to do more. We're able to employ more. We're able to, I mean, it's, it's not like we have to give them the bottom of the barrel. We're able to give them the top of the, of the barrel, actually, in everything that we do with our individuals. You know what I like is when you go to a, a truck parade, I did this when the kids were little, and uh, you'd catch things, and they would be like, Toth, 1977. It would be, I would be, I liked it even better like that. It was, it was great. And Devin, in no way am I implying that you're a one-man show because, I mean, that's not what that organization is. I mean, how did you, you might've come up with the idea, but how did you get those kind of like-minded people together? And, you know, for instance, the person that decided to decorate the homes. Um, Well, you know, the the higher Mardi Gras artist idea comes from my friend Caroline Thomas. She's a Mardi Gras artist, and she reached out to me just because she understood uh, basically the track record that I've um, helped you know build over the past year with Feed the Frontline, Nola, and Feed the Second Line. And um, she just you know reached out, hey, can we maybe do something to crowdfund to get these Mardi Gras artists working? Um, in two months, we raised $300,000 and were able to put 48 people to work. And a lot of these artists, we're, we're able to pay them much better wages than they were making previously. Um, some of them are, you know, in the $14, $15 an hour range. Our minimum that we're trying to pay people is $30 because we want to stuff their pockets while we can, while there's an opportunity, while we have this high demand for Mardi Gras artwork, you know. and um, we just have to really try every which way to create jobs right now and not just jobs that pay a pittance, but jobs that, you know, really help people invest in themselves um, because COVID's not over and the city's going to struggle for a while. So we're kind of in like the middle of the fight right now and we just got to keep it going. Um, we're about to launch an initiative to help the neighborhood bars of New Orleans as well. And um, it's really just, we have ideas and we just have to try them out and see what good we can do because nobody's going to come in and save our city. You know, we, we got to do it ourselves. Sharina, um, what do you think next year looks like for you, Shireen? Does, uh, and I, do you Have you lost momentum mm-hmm. or do you think, and I guess putting those billboards up makes a lot of sense too, but you don't want people to forget what you do. Right. And so that's the message. If you have been seeing the news and the newspaper, we actually in the newspaper today. Um, if you actually see what we're trying to do, we actually just want people to know, Hey guys, don't forget we're here. We need you. Um, and just don't forget about this population. And, and we, we want Mardi Gras to live on. I believe um, throughout this whole thing, it has been tremendously hard to our program because we lost over 5,000 volunteers this year. Well, in 2020, um, our volunteer base was really strong. And I just saw it I just spiral out of control when we were just getting the calls, cancellations and cancellations after cancellations. And so then we were out of few months due to COVID because everything was shut down. And so when we actually opened back up, it was it was kind of hard because some families were 
pretty scared on, you know, people coming back to work due to the fact of COVID and we're mm-hmm. all still scared. And so I just had to revamp. Um, I feel like I am the pivot queen, you know, because it's like everything is a pivot. You know, you go to you go to one, we pivot to one. You go to two, you go to two. They say zero, we go to zero. And so what has happened is what we've learned how to do it is really adapt. Um, and all of us have in America has. But with this program, you know, um, just making sure that our people are safe, just making sure that we're able to still get a commodity that everybody will want. I mean, if you walk in our store, you will actually think you're at one of the the neighborhood Mardi Gras stores. We're just that meticulous about what we give and the product that we send out uh, to the community. And where is the store, by the way, Sharita? It's at 925 Labar Road in Metairie, Louisiana. Everybody should go out there. We really, I'm serious, we really, we need everybody to just come, even if you're coming just to look. Um, And we also take donations as well on our website at arcgno.org. And you ought to get rid of these beads. This is is clogging up your life. (laughs) Yes. You know, you can. Yes. When I promise you, right. Right now, normally our warehouse is empty and to see all of the stuff just still sitting there and we're we're just trying to just get through it and just keep a positive attitude. We're praying about 2022, praying that we can get, a you know, the parades back going, um, that we can actually sell and we have a better year. This year, the program was hit so bad. Um, I'm just still sitting in, you know, in, with praying hands, praying that we can get through it. 2020 was a year like no other in living memory, and Mardi Gras 2021 is like no other Mardi Gras in living memory. It's not much fun living in a city that throws the world's greatest party and having to sit it out. But we're all in it together, and thanks to New Orleanians like you, Devin and Sharina, we're managing to find the fun, community, and unity that Mardi Gras normally brings us in other ways. Thank you for everything you're doing for Mardi Gras and for New Orleans. And thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. (laughs) My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Devin DeWolf, founder of Crew of Red Beans, and Sharina McGee-Stemley, manager of ARC GNO's Mardi Gras Recycle Center. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Devin and Sharina's Mardi Gras by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Very soon, we're going to go back to hosting Out to Lunch around the real-world lunch table. For right now, Commander's Palace is open for lunch Wednesday through Friday, dinner seven nights a week, and jazz brunch on the weekends. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. In the meantime, happy Mardi Gras.
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 